Heidelberg, as um, uh, Gina might have said, or, or uh, perhaps Gerard, uh, Heidelberg School, we're, we're trying to uh, get rid of that. We're trying to, as I was quoted as saying, throttle it off because uh, it just doesn't fit this subject. But uh, the curious thing is that Heidelberg is the centre of Australian Impressionism. And I love Heidelberg and I live there like Lee. I, I live above the Darwin Creek. So, um, uh, But it is a term that doesn't work. And uh, Australian Impressionism, World Impressionism, uh, it's world, world's best practice, and it's a way to go. Heidelberg School is not. Now, late in 1888, Arthur Streeton travelled to Heidelberg. Uh, Mary Eagle, who's done so much work on all these artists, uh, believes that he was there much, much earlier. But this is in the mythology, and uh, he said um, that he was going out to find the site of Louis Bouvelot's summer afternoon temple stow in the National Gallery of Victoria, painted in 1886, along with Winter Morning near Heidelberg. Those two uh, paintings that the NGV acquired in 1869, and um, they formed the foundation of our Australian collection. And by the way, Bouvelot and those paintings, so important to the story of Australian Impressionism, even the very titles, Summer Afternoon, and uh, summer afternoon, winter morning, so times of the day and um, uh, season, uh, seasons. Yeah, these are things that the younger generation uh, of uh, Australian Impressionists look to. And of course, Heidelberg. Heidelberg, since the uh, very early settlement of, of Melbourne, had been a destination for artists. Um, all the artists of Melbourne had been out to paint there. The thing about Heidelberg was that it was one of the closest places to Melbourne where there was elevated land. Melbourne was um, uh, so uh, flat and you could look of course to, uh, to Macedon but Heidelberg was so much closer and Melbourne, particularly in the summer, must have been unbearable. Andrew referred to the smell of um, uh, um, horse manure and of course um, uh, sewerage. Um, there was open sewerage uh, in the gutters of Melbourne. It was called also Marvellous Smellburn or Smellbourne uh, because of the terrible stink of the uh, city. And of course um, uh, uh, Andrew also referred to uh, uh, and I think uh, Humphrey did too of uh, how important it is to get back into the 19th century mind and the 19th century experience but uh, that sense of smell the, uh, the smells that pervaded <laughs> 19th century life gas lighting, the smell of gas in the house and whatever so uh, anyway uh, Streeton later, uh, later said it was my interest in this picture that summer afternoon Templestow, which caused me to walk from Heidelberg Station to Templestow. Here's the rail coming in again. The rail had just been put in uh, to Heidelberg in May. So there's Streeton going out. Probably the end of the year. It might have been December. And he painted a small canvas there. Returning with the wet picture, I met Mr. C.M. Davies and his sister. Mr. Davies was the owner or part owner of the upland estate known as Eaglemont. Well, it was actually Mount Eagle. Uh, he kindly gave me artistic possession of the old weatherboard house, homestead, with its eight or ten rooms standing on the summit of the hill and beautifully surrounded by a little forest of coniferous and other fine trees. 
there was actually um, one of the previous owners of the property had intended to build a hill station there and had planted in the 1860s a famous pinatum with uh, all the, um, the new species of uh, conifers. Um, uh, it was one of the most up-to-date pinatums in the whole world. And this is the sort of um, background that you, uh, to Mount Eagle that you, um, you find references to in Stritton's letters. By the way, the, the house is there on the bottom left corner. Uh, you can't see it very clearly. Uh, and Heidelberg settled since the earliest days of Melbourne, the 1830s. In the 1840s, it had become a distinctly aristocratic neighbourhood because um, gentlemen had moved out there. Uh, because of the exclusive um, uh, uh, district it had become and the, the height, the elevation, and they, they, on each hill was a major estate. And they had these model farms, little toy farms, where everything was just perfect. But um, by the 1880s, uh, these people had died off and the, uh, many of the, the houses were empty and the properties um, were uh, with managers or whatever and uh, the model farms had really run down. It, and it was a Heidelberg, uh, Heidelberg was a rural backwater with a shrinking population. Uh, these reversals are only enhanced rather than, than diminished the district's attractiveness to excursionists from Melbourne, especially in the spring. Heidelberg, like Richmond, New South Wales, that we'll uh, hear about perhaps later on, um, uh, was famous for its hedgerows and orchards, and uh, excursionists went out there in the spring to see the blossoms, and also in autumn when the leaves were turning. But it was called Sleepy Hollow Heidelberg, and it offered that old-world experience uh, we had a reference to the um, uh, to the native-born population, how it was increasing. A lot of uh, young Australians had never seen this European sort of landscape, so that was a great attraction of Heidelberg. A journalist wrote, Heidelberg is more like an old country village than any other I remember in Victoria. Its air is quaint and old-fashioned. And the same could be said of the surrounding countryside with all these declining uh, farms model farms. So uh, Streeton, oh, there's a, uh, I don't know how much you can see of that, but the typical Heidelberg landscape uh, with um, the homestead there and St John's Church somewhere. Uh, yeah, very rural and attractive. Uh, there's the Mount Eagle. It's not a homestead, it was a temporary building. A grand house was going to be built there and the garden was laid out first with the terraces and stone steps and whatever. So this was just um, uh, a building meant to, to last until the, the house was built. And Streeton could hardly have believed his luck to have landed, almost without trying, a, a place in the country where he could live and paint. Uh, of course, they knew about the, the artist's colonies in... Uh, in Europe and America, and uh, there was an article in the Century magazine called The Summer Haunts of American Artists, which uh, showed the, uh, the rural properties of uh, American artists. And, uh, of course, they had the, those little camps at, at Box Hill which were uh, so uh, sort of inconvenient, but to have a whole house where you could stay 
uh, with there was no comfort in this house, but uh, there were many rooms, and uh, it was like what um, overseas artists in in England and in America and uh, in Europe, uh, continental Europe had, uh, and uh, the, the colonies of of Newland, for example, and this is uh, Gray, yeah. So where large numbers of people could come together uh, and stay for quite some time. Uh, uh, many years later, he, he, uh, he described how it would have been in December, we think, 1888, he took artistic possession of the old house on Mount Eagle, how he had a meal in Heidelberg Village and then laboured up the hill with a large swag of canvases and paints and camped in one of the empty rooms of the house. My first night there, he wrote was spent alone, excepting for the caretaker, Jack Whelan, at the farther end of the house, a bottle of claret, a tallow candle, a plug of tobacco, and my boots and coats for a pillow. I slept upon the floor, the room being bare of furniture. The whole place was creaking and ghostly. A long, dark corridor seemed full of past visions, and out of doors the forest of pines presented a blurred blackness, rich blackness, against the sharp brilliance of the Southern Cross and the neighbouring two grey smudges of nebulae. But tobacco and wine weighed healthily against the darkness and solitude. Some weeks later, two students joined me. I mean, we can't concentrate on these five artists, but they're part of an enormous group. Uh, Llewellyn Jones, that um, Daniel showed us, and Abby Alston. About the same time, he met Charles Conder. As Daniel said, he'd come down in October, 1888. And um, Streeton invited him and Tom Roberts to join him at Eaglemont uh, to go and live out there. Um, Streeton was mostly work Roberts was mostly working in the city, but uh, the three of them lived there. They were a happy trio, uh, and um, and they made, as Streeton said, some modest improvements to the accommodation. Our beds were made of corn stacks, nailed to two saplings and supported by upright pieces to raise them from the floor. Our seats were old boxes. Our dining table was a box with boards placed across it. Our leg of mutton, potatoes and so forth were all cooked together in a large pail. Our illumination was tallow candles, surrounded by the loveliness of the new landscape with heat, drought and flies and hard-pressed for the necessities of, nice, of life. Uh, we worked hard and were a happy trio. Uh, that's Condor's little 9 by 5 um, uh, which is the interior of the Mount Eagle homestead. Of course, Streeton um, is, the, is the main artist of this time. It's really only two summers and the time be between. It's a very, very brief time in, in, the, in the whole story of... Uh, Australian Impressionism, and um, yeah, somebody said I don't I can't remember who it was. Streeton uh, Heidelberg belongs to Streeton. It's so true. Uh, he was only um, uh, about I think in eighteen eighty eight. Condor was twenty, and Streeton was twenty one. Incredibly young, but at that time he produced these amazing works, um, the great panoramic views. Uh, across uh, the, the valley, the Yarra Valley, from Eaglemont to the, the Dandenongs. They all painted it. Uh, Condor and um, Roberts painted little 9 by 5s that are in our exhibition. But uh, Streeton produced these great panoramas. Uh, uh, 
So there are several types of hardware subjects. There are these uh, uh, panoramic views and uh, there are the views of uh, the riverine landscapes and uh, of the abandoned um, or declining orchards. Um, I'm so pleased to find this photograph. Um, it's uh, so like Thomas Aitkins, that American painter who's so like Tom Roberts. Uh, this uh, sort of unembarrassed uh, use of um, of the the river, uh, similar to um, to what we see and what Daniel told us about down at down at Mentone. Uh, fabulous photo, Andrew McKenzie, and you see uh, painted versions of that. Uh, three main pictures in the in the exhibition. So uh, this was an incredible time for those three artists. Um, uh, they had the prof professional engagement and the friendly rivalry and this wonderful Whit Whit Whitman-esque uh, lifestyle uh, and, and it strengthened their friendship and was so important for the younger artists, particularly Condor and Streeton. And uh, there's so much of this in the, in the mythology. The mythology of uh, Australian Impressionism, of um, Heidelberg, starts at this time uh, in the letters of, um, of uh, Streeton. He wrote um, later on about Condor. He was a loosely built figure of a man in those youthful days, sympathetic and delicate. Uh, and um, yet when, he painted, when we painted and bathed together at Dead Man's Corner, almost certainly this spot, abandoned the river Yarra. He astonished me by swimming across the river with a strong current. I found a black snake, poisonous, swimming upstream close by me, so I retreated to the shore again, and throwing mud behind it, induced it to come ashore, where we killed it with nothing but our boots. I can still see Condor lying along a stout bough of the great mulberry tree and feasting upon the luscious fruit, isn't that amazing stuff? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the social life out at, out at Heidelberg um, was incredible. Our conservator, Michael Varco Cox, has discovered um, incredible inscriptions on Street and Spring that he, he might tell us about later on. And uh, they indicate his um, pursuit of a, a young lady called Florrie Walker, who was the sister of Mrs. Uh, Davies um, of... Um, Mount Eagle and Khan. Mary Eagle has identified two other young women of interest, somebody called Susie and uh, somebody called a girl with the cap-like hat. Uh, so there are wonderful picnics. You see descriptions of them in, uh, in uh, Streeton's reminiscences. Uh, parties for over 100 students. Uh, this is really a cult of youth. Um, our two... Uh, Condor and, and Streeton, very, very young, but they were surrounded by even younger artists, the students from the National Gallery School and from the private academies, art academies in, in the city, and these great parties, and there's a, a beautiful description at the end of a long day of Streeton uh, leading the crowd back to Heidelberg Station with a, a, a Japanese lantern, and it's a, just a terrific image. It's a wonder Condor didn't paint it. And uh, whilst all this um, was going on, uh, Streeton could paint fabulous things like this. Um, we've put these two pictures together. 
but this is one of my great favourites, as it was of Streetons himself, uh, that um, uh, sort of union of uh, his lovers with the uh, landscape and, and the universe, an incredible vision. Uh, just a couple of pictures that I'll draw your attention to. I hope you'll have time to go back to the exhibition. But uh, this is one painting. Uh, we call it Summer Idol. Uh, it was um, a famous picture in the 70s when it, uh, Jack Manton bought it for a record price. And it used to be called Orchard at Box Hill. But uh, it had a kind of... Well, Jack Manton used to love the cavalier's head that was in the middle that had come through, through overcleaning. Michael Varco Cox has, um, has um, reinstated the integrity of the picture and uh, we now think it's a, a Heidelberg picture. I relate it to this um, Arthur Streeton, Autumn, which is also inscribed um, uh, Eaglemont in the lower left corner there. It seems to me it's exactly the same landscape, even a continuation of that row of, of quince trees with peach trees in the, in the foreground. So this is some of the, the work that we've been doing and the, uh, the re, um, reinvestigation of these pictures. Another one, uh, uh, another pair of pictures. This goes the other way. Um, Butterflies and Blossoms uh, by Streeton. And this condo, which we're showing, um, hasn't been seen for 50 years or so, never been reproduced before, but um, uh, almost certainly Heidelberg, although this painting here was inscribed Box Hill but later, inscribed later by Streeton. So clearly uh, two views of the same subject, orchard in blossom with these pools of water. Uh, we've done this throughout the exhibition wherever we can, pairs and trios of pictures, uh, and this is a particularly fascinating one. Grosvenor Chambers. Um, this is where um, Roberts was uh, working. Most of the time he was really a professional portrait painter. And during his time abroad, 1881 to 1885, he'd seen the heights to which studio decor had been taken in London and on the continent, and he'd observed how the studio had become an indispensable venue for the presentation and promotion of an artist's work and a place of tireless interest to the art press and the public. Back in Melbourne, he immediately promoted this international practice, accumulating an impressive collection of props and accessories for the decoration of the studios and uh, for use in his pictures. Uh, now, his studio at this time was Grosvenor Chambers, an art centre at the top of Collins Street in that exclusive precinct of doctors' um, uh, rooms and, and residences. And it opened in April 1888. 1888 is really... Uh, the critical, the critical, critical year. It's the end of the boom, uh, but still there was great confidence there. Uh, Tom Roberts' studio was acknowledged to be one of the best in Melbourne, most picturesquely arranged, and uh, the general hardness. This is a contemporary quote of so many frames was completely effaced by cunningly placed draperies. These muslin draperies behind Mrs. Abraham's there that uh, Whistler used in his studios in rich, soft tones, broken here and there by bunches of dry reeds and grasses. Some kind friends had sent in a profusion of lovely flowers for the adornment of the studio, and as these were clustered together in great masses and kept away from the paintings, they lit up the room without impairing 
the colouring of the pictures and so produced a most charming effect. We've devoted a whole section of the exhibition, just a wall actually, to um, uh, Grosvenor Chambers and trying to conjure up uh, Robert's studio, which was the, the key one, and he presided there and uh, Grosvenor Chambers became the centre of uh, the Melbourne art world and there were conversaciones there and um, uh, all sorts of uh, get-togethers and the, the pictures uh, as they were painted were shown there before they went off to the VAS um, to be seen by the general public. A couple of other views, uh, this fabulous photo, I don't know, that's Roberts there. I don't know who the other person is. These Japanese fabric, lots of Japanese artefacts. Um, uh, he had uh, a great interest in this Anglo-Japanese style and uh, pioneered this um, uh, fashionable aesthetic uh, style of interior decoration. Uh, all, uh, um, Jane Sutherland and many other artists had, uh, had studios at Grosvenor Chambers and uh, even Conda was there briefly in 1888 when he arrived from Sydney in October and uh, in 1891 when Roberts was up country Arthur Streeton moved in. Uh, that's a little letter that he wrote in 18, May 1891. And he, he did this uh, fabulous sketch of the interior. Uh, the, the right figure there, pointing at his chrysanthemums on the easel, is Flory Walker, who was um, uh, his obsession for so, for so long. And that wonderful tambourine from the Joseph Brown collection, painted... Uh, at the same time, in May 1891. All these pictures are in the exhibition. Uh, the Blue Pacific on the easel spring, amazingly distorted there in the painting, and near Heidelberg. We tried to get uh, the chrysanthemums, which is on the easel, but um, the elderly collector in Sydney who owns it uh, couldn't spare it for a couple of months. So... so uh, uh, the next um, uh, phase, um, uh, at, at Heidelberg and at Grosvenor Chambers, our artists planned the famous 9x5 Impression exhibition. And um, uh, this was held in um, August 1889 at um, Buxton's Rooms. Still stands uh, in Swanson Street opposite the Town Hall. Uh, very few people realise that. They know about uh, Grosvenor Chambers at the top of Collins Street, the facade of which stands. But um, uh, Buxton's Rooms is still there. And uh, mm, you can walk past it and you can even go into this space, although you can't see anything much. Uh, it's amazing that there's no photograph of this exhibition. Tom Roberts was so interested in, in um, photography and there was a photographic studio on the same floor as the space where the exhibition was held. I believe this is a view of Grusel's um, studio here, only a few metres away from where uh, the uh, 9x5 impression exhibition was held. But uh, it's amazing that they didn't take a camera in there and, and record this, this exhibition. Perhaps it was so frenetic, perhaps they were so busy, or perhaps somebody's got these photos at home and hopefully we'll see them sometime. It's something I, I dream of. Uh, so, oh, oh, opened in 1885. It was um, um, Buxton's Rooms, uh, the artistic stationery company, was a, uh, a, um, a place where you could buy uh, 
art artist materials or uh, high class stationery. But uh, on the first floor, uh, there were meeting rooms for artistic and literary societies. The Australian Artists Association held its inaugural meeting there in June 1886, followed by three exhibitions. Before there was a proper exhibition gallery in Melbourne, Lady Locke, who opened one of the exhibitions there, described the space as, in her typical snobby way, only a small room above a shop. <laughs> and Theodore Fink, uh, who was much more... Uh, optimistic said it, it described it as a, a fine, moderate-sized salon. So uh, uh, these are uh, just the sketches. We've heard a, a bit about plein air painting, quite a lot, in fact, and uh, the importance of all sorts of people. Uh, plein air painting from the late uh, 18th, 18th century with um, uh, people like like Constable, uh uh, Anna, Anna Gray, who's here, here today, has, has written uh, so much about this. But um, uh, it had been practised, um, and uh, people like Corro uh, had painted in the open air wonderful little sketches like this. You can see how close they are to, to Tom Roberts and some of the other people. But they'd been private. Uh, they'd been just for, um, uh, for the delectation of the, the artist, or, or uh, might have been a, a, to... Aid in, in a work that work in progress, uh, very rarely shown until the the middle of the nineteenth century when they started to be collected, and uh, Australia was lagging behind the the acceptance of of these sketches as uh, credible works of art, and that was I think the main reason for the artist to put on the nine by five impression exhibition to. Uh, to bring Australia into the international loop, because really they were you know, here in Melbourne, we were 20, 30 years behind, and um, so it was a, a kind of pioneering exercise. Of course, many of the paintings were painted on little cigar boxes, nine inches by five inches, and they had wood frames, fat, flat wood frames, like that panel frame, frames, I, I call them. They weren't all landscapes. Many of them were were uh, cityscapes. Um, uh, in fact, the exhibition was going to be a, a, a large um, uh, effort by a Victorian artist society, many, many artists, but as it came closer, uh, the others uh, lost their nerve and, and dropped out. So it really came back to Roberts, who had 60 works, and Condor had 46, and Streeton had 40 or 42 and um, McCubbin, uh, in an act of friendship, sent in six, and there were a couple of others. So um, it, was, it really came down to those. But uh, the venue was moved at the last moment uh, from Robert's studio, Gravner Chambers, to the Buxton's rooms. And uh, it was July, so the artists went out to bring up their numbers, uh, and these city views uh, were painted um, at that time. Curious enough, you think of um, blue and gold landscapes and sunshine uh, with the Australian Impressionists, but most of these show uh, wet weather subjects uh, because it was um, July and uh, uh, things like this. These are two by, by Street and probably done in July. That one certainly was. It's got a little poster on the side of the Princess Theatre saying Jenny Lee, and she had a season at the Princess Theatre in July, 1889. 
So uh, you can see how spontaneously they're, they're painted very, very quickly just to capture the essence of the subject, as we've heard. Condor went up to Riddles Creek. We've got two of his Riddle Creek pictures here. This very beautiful one that hasn't been seen much before. And the frames, some of the painted frames. There are, I think, 11 original frames in, in the exhibition. And um, the two of them by Condor are actually are painted with uh, sprays of eucalyptus. We've hung them, and this is the first time it's been done, in this Whistlerian manner. This is Whistler, of course, such a great influence on Roberts and these artists, but uh, uh, Roberts had seen uh, one of Whistler's exhibitions in 1885 before he came back to... Uh, 1884, sorry, um, Notes, Harmony, Nocturnes in London before he came back to, to Melbourne and must have been inspired by what he saw. So many features of the 9x5 Impression exhibition are taken from uh, Whistler's studio practice and his exhibitions. Uh, as with Roberts and uh, the Australian Impressionists, these um, exhibitions weren't recorded. This is the only view that we have or record we have of the earlier exhibition in 1881 of Whistler's um, Venice pictures uh, and showing how the, the, the pictures were hung on a dado level uh, in, in the interior. And I, I feel pretty sure that that's um, what um, Roberts uh, did uh, in the Melbourne exhibition. Of course, um, uh, James Smith here, and we have his portrait um, uh, in the exhibition. We are demonising James Smith, uh, <laughs> and we've put up on the wall uh, his complete review, which is so extravagant. I think he was on their payroll, actually, because uh, it made the exhibition a cause célèbre. It made it so famous, and the artist pinned or pasted the uh, the uh, review up on the the doors to the the gallery, and uh, everybody in Melbourne would have come to to see it. And uh, it was a savage review. Uh, he said about the wonderful orange, blue and white, uh, here again is something bearing the title of orange, blue and white, representing a hydrocephalus doll with glass eyes, wooden hands and a broken nose, almost buried in a mass of white lead. Oh, what a, what a terrific thing. So... What is the legacy of all this? Uh, uh, Streeton wrote that, that later on that the exhibition was a turning point in the history of Australian art. Rothenstein, um, Condor's author, saw more clearly that it, it proclaimed the acceptance by a younger generation of Australian painters of a movement which was refreshing the jaded pictorial vision of the Anglo-Saxon world. So uh, it... Um, it set out to inform and educate the Australian public in international art practice and to align Australia with the international arts community. There had been previous artist-organised group exhibitions, but nothing was its own manifesto because they had, their right to, they had to write their own manifesto for the wonderful little catalogue and also in defence of the exhibition in, a, in an article they wrote for the Argus. And there was nothing so stage-managed or so proselytising as the 9x5 exhibition. No exhibition in the history of Australian art is so well documented, was so widely reviewed and has been so extensively written about and so often imitated. 
and it does indeed um, deserve its reputation as one of the most celebrated events in the history of Australian art. <laughs>